Good morning, my friend. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I am so grateful and honored to be with you today. This is Spiritual Brain Surgery, a brand new podcast. I've been podcasting since 2014, but we wanted to create a place where all of the episodes were about spiritual things. We always talk about on the main podcast about neuroscience and faith and how they smash together to help us become healthier and feel better and be happier no matter what happens in our life. But the foundational thing The most important thing is to get your faith right, to get your beliefs right, because guess what? Life's going to get hard. I hate to be the one to tell you that, but there's going to be trauma and tragedy and massive things that come along. And if you get your beliefs right up front, if you prehab your faith, then you'll know exactly what's going to happen when things get hard. You'll have a place to fall and a place to land where the bottom holds and you can stand up with hope and move forward again in your life. And so we're starting this new podcast and we went back on Sunday a couple of days ago and did an introductory episode and I gave you the breadth of what we're going to be covering here. But I'm very excited that the first full-length episode of Spiritual Brain Surgery is a talk with two very special guests. Elisa Childers is an author. She was a former Christian singer of Zoe Girl fame back in the 90s. But now she's a really popular speaker and the author of two books that I love. She's been on the show before to talk about her book, Another Gospel, and her second book, Live Your Truth and Other Lies. She's been published all over the place, Gospel Coalition, Crosswalk, The Stream. And she's a very popular apologist on the lecture circuit now. And I'm really grateful that Elisa has teamed up with Tim Barnett to write this new book, The Deconstruction of Christianity. Tim Barnett is a speaker and apologist. He writes for Stand to Reason. And during the pandemic, he's a teacher from Canada. And during the pandemic, when they weren't in school, he started something called Red Pen Logic with Mr. B. And he helps people, especially young people, assess bad thinking by using good thinking. And his social media platforms reach millions of people every month to proclaim the word and argue for the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. These two have teamed up to write this important book because deconstruction is happening. It's a thing, a movement, if you will, is sweeping through our churches. It's affecting our loved ones. Many of us have loved ones and our families that have gone through this. It's disrupted, dismantled, and destroyed the faith of many people. And we need to understand what deconstruction is, why it's so destructive, and how to respond in love to people who are going through it so we can help them, but also to understand what's happening. It's a great talk. We have three copies of this important book to give away. The publisher at Tyndale, is, they're always so great to give us books to give away. We're so grateful to partner with Tyndale and the wonderful publicists that they have to get books given out to people. And we have three copies of The Deconstruction of Christianity here on Spiritual Brain Surgery today. If you would like to be considered for one of those books, please send me an email, lee at drleewarren.com. Don't forget your name, your mailing address, and your zip code. They need to go to United States addresses. We cannot, unfortunately, ship to an international address with these three books because they're coming directly from the warehouse of the publisher, and it has to be a U.S. address. So three copies we have to give away. Your name, mailing address, and zip code to lee at drleewarren.com. We'll give away three that we will randomly select within 48 hours of the episode going live. We are here for spiritual brain surgery to remind you that you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the number one thing you need to change your mind about is knowing what you believe, why you believe it, and how to defend it. And we're going to get after it right now. When life gets hard, does what we think we believe hold us up or does it crumble under the weight of doubt? I'm your host, Dr. Lee Warren. I'm a brain surgeon, author, and a person who's seen some stuff and wondered where God is in all this mess. This is the Spiritual Brain Surgery Podcast, where we'll take a hard look at what we believe, why we believe it, and the neuroscience behind how our minds and our brains can smash together with faith 
to help us become healthier, feel better, and be happier so we can find the hope to withstand anything life throws at us. You've got questions, and we're going to do the hard work to find the answers. But you can't change your life until you change your mind, and it's going to take some spiritual brain surgery to get it done. So let's get after it. Welcome to the show, team. Thank you. It's great to be back with you. Yeah, it's great to meet you. Good. Uh, Lisa was on the show a year ago or so to talk about your second book, and just appreciate having you back and, and taking the time. So let's uh, let's just for a second introduce yourselves briefly. I've done a bio, but let's hear it from you. Lisa, start with you. Yeah, well, I am uh, a mom, a wife. I've got a couple of new grandbabies, one that's uh, about two and one that was just born. So we're kind of in baby moon phase with the new grandbaby. So I'm loving that, but um, it is the best. Um, So we are, uh, we live in the Nashville area and which I've lived here since 99 because I was in the contemporary Christian music industry for a while before I went through a faith crisis that I I think I talked about on the show last time. And uh, when God rebuilt my faith, it really led me to reach out and try to help others. So that's when my public ministry in apologetics and theology started. And so I write books and I have a podcast, the Elisa Childers podcast. Excellent, Tim. And and yeah, I'm Tim Barnett. I uh, work as an apologist uh, for a ministry called Stand to Reason. Before that, I was actually a high school science and math teacher, um, which I loved doing, um, but God had other plans. And so for the last eight years, I've been doing the apologist thing. Um, although through the pandemic, uh, things uh, shut down, couldn't travel, couldn't speak. And so we started something called Red Pen Logic with Mr. B. It's on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and all the places. And uh, this is a place that we respond to bad thinking by using good thinking. And we try to have some it. fun in the process. And uh, so we're responding to TikToks and memes and, I mean, you name it, we're trying to respond to it. Um, and uh, And, yeah, so then... So that's that's kind of a, a little intro. I live here in Canada, and so people might notice the accent. I'm Canadian. I got three. <laughs> I got three little girls at home, and uh, and a beautiful wife. That's great. Before we get into a conversation of this depth, I think we should pray. One, one or both of you, start mm-hmm. us off with prayer. Sure, I'll pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together and to have these discussions. And I pray that it would be edifying for the body and for anybody who's listening, we pray that it would minister to those who have friends and loved ones in deconstruction. Mm -hmm. And ultimately that we would glorify you with every word we say in Jesus name. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Amen. So just a little background for you, Tim, you've not been on this show before, but this show started um, really out of a painful place for us. We lost a child in 2013 and and Mm -hmm. really came out of, of, trying to help other people get back to their faith and their feet after massive trauma has happened in their lives. And, and I'm a brain surgeon. And so I naturally kind of integrate the, the way our brains work and our minds work with how we can find hope and faith and put those things together. And one of the things that happens when people go through hard things, as most of our listeners today will be, is it challenges and makes you question your faith sometimes. And so I think it's a perfect mm-hmm conversation to have with you all about your new book, The Deconstruction of Christianity, what it is, why it's destructive, and how to respond. So so maybe just as we get started, give us a little background on how this book came about, how the two of you began to write together, and, and some of that inside baseball stuff about this book. 
Well, I can I can start and then I'll get Elisa to kind of tell the rest of the story. I um, a couple of years ago was invited to speak at a a conference. Um, it was a week long thing. I was doing like the morning Bible study, and uh, they had asked me to speak on deconstruction because a lot of people were talking at that time about deconstruction, particularly because of Joshua Harris, who wrote "I Kissed yeah. Dating Goodbye," you know, a bestseller, and he had recently uh, gone on on uh, Instagram announced that he was divorcing his wife one week and then the next week talking about his deconstruction. Yeah. Of course, there was other well-known musicians that at that time were coming out. There was a Marty Sampson from Hillsong. Um, he came out on Instagram and said, I, I'm leaving, I'm walking away. And so they asked me to talk about this issue. And, and as I put together that research, I thought, man, there is, there is a lot going on here and I'm still trying to wrestle through it. But one of the evenings... Um, I was sitting at the, on a back pew and I thought, man, there is a connection between deconstruction and progressive Christianity. In fact, yeah. it's kind of the transition or the segue to progressive Christianity. And of course, when I think of progressive Christianity, I think, man, this is, this is right up Elisa Childers alley. You know, she's written yes. a book on progressive Christianity. So I sent her a text message asking her, you know, are you writing this book? This is like the prequel to your book, Another Gospel. And yeah. what did you say, Elisa? <laughs> well, at the time, I was hip deep in finishing up Live Your Truth and Other Lies, my second book. And yeah. I had promised myself, and when I'm finished with this book, I am not going to write another book for two years. Like, I just need a break <laughs> from writing books. Um, mm -hmm. But when Tim suggested that, I, I mean, that's what I told him. I just said, there, I can't. There's no way. I'm just so busy right now, and I, I just don't have time to do this. But I, at the same time, was recognizing what an absolutely important topic it was for the church because a lot of people were starting to talk about deconstruction. And frankly, the way a lot of Christians were talking about it was alarming to me. It was actually very mm. concerning to me because they were talking about deconstruction like it can be this healthy, good thing. And I just, I thought, I know that that's not quite right. But but when I would see Tim post about it, I would see him post, you know, little snippets from his talk and talk about it. I was like, man, he really gets it. Like, I feel like Tim understands what's going on in this movement. So when he texted that to me, I immediately was like, uh, well, I think I said something like, well, why don't, you know, somebody else write it. And then Tim suggested yeah. maybe we write it together. Yeah. But when he suggested mm -hmm. that we write it together, I, I, I knew instantly like this is going to happen. <laughs> this is probably going to happen. Yeah. So I think I said something like, let's talk. And then yeah. we just kept talking and it turned into a book, you know, signing a book deal together and, and writing this mm -hmm. book. Incredible how these things, these little nudges from the Lord turn into such good things. I think before we go too far, just in case there's somebody out there that doesn't know what deconstruction is, let, let's get the definitions out on the table. Because I think one thing that happens, Philip Yancey and I had a conversation about this, where there's, mm. there's this innocent sort of conversation that we have a lot of times where what we really mean when we say deconstruction is that we tear down things that we were taught or we believed growing mm -hmm. up in light of what scripture says. And, and it's a healthy process of sort of making sure that we work out our own salvation. Right. But sometimes that's not what it means. And I think most of the time in this secular worldview, progressive worldview is certainly not what it means. So let's get the definitions out on the table. You start the book off really with that. And I think it's well done. So give us, give us kind of a working lexicon here. So we're all on the same page as we have this conversation. Well, I think for Tim and I, probably the hardest sentence to write in the book was our one sentence definition of deconstruction mm -hmm. and how we define it is a postmodern process of rethinking your faith, but not regarding scripture as the standard. 
And there are right. several reasons that we defined it that way, because what you described uh, a minute ago, where you're rethinking your faith, but you're going to scripture, you want to have an authentic, biblically based Christian faith. And so that means you got to tear some things down. You got to get rid of some things. We would say, yes, do that. That is a good and healthy, important part of every believer's life to grow and mature as a Christian. Um, but what was concerning to us is that a lot of people were using kind of this new postmodern word to describe a process that we should all be doing anyway. And, and that can't mm-hmm. be, it can't be both. Like, I think that's what we were just right. thinking about is like, it can't be just a healthy, you know, discernment and, and reforming your faith and also a rejection of core principles of the gospel, which is really what we th- see happening in the dominant expression of the word in culture. So it really mm-hmm. was just this pocket of maybe well-meaning evangelicals that were using the word that way, kind of co-opting it and saying, oh, no, it can be healthy. And I, I get it. Like, I get the well-meaning nature of it because nobody wants to see people walk away from their faith. And so if you have sure. the opportunity to say, oh, well, if you deconstruct a street, deconstruct in a healthy way, you know, we even kicked that around uh, in the mm-hmm. beginning. We were like, well, maybe we can kind of present like a healthy version and then an unhealthy version. But as we went along, that healthy version was impossible to find except among this kind of very small bubble of evangelicals that were talking about it that way because everybody else was saying, no, actually what they believe, what those evangelicals believe is toxic, it's harmful, it's abusive. We got to get rid of those beliefs. And ultimately what it meant outside of that bubble was in, in, in broader culture, it, it means getting rid of like the, any kind of external authority. So it's really like any external authority is a power grab in the deconstruction mindset. So you have to do like you, it's entirely self-led. It's the authority of your own thoughts and feelings and preferences. And I don't say that in a pejorative way. It, it's, um, it, it's in the mindset of the deconstructionist. If you have an external authority, you got to deconstruct that. And so mm-hmm. you have to be the truth maker in it and find out what works for you, what's helpful to you, what's harmful to you, what's abusive to you, or what's bringing you wholeness as far as what you feel inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would just add to that, that we wanted to um, bring clarity to a very confusing issue. And what we found was when we talked with people, they're confused about this because if you ask 10 people, to define deconstruction, you will get 10 different definitions, this kind right. of thing. So um, what we knew when we finally settled on this, I- this idea, deconstruction is a postmodern process that of rethinking your faith, but not requiring scripture as a standard. When we, when we came to that kind of conclusion, we knew that, you know, there would be people on the other side who would not like that. We knew people within evangelicalism wouldn't like that because we were disagreeing with, you know, people like Philip Yancey who used the term in a healthy way. What yeah. we're saying is there is that going on, what Philip Yancey's done and many others have done, but we want to call that something else. And that will help. That'll help bring clarity to this confusing issue because if they use a different word, like, Hey, we're doing reformation. By the way, we have like we already had these words. This is what Christians right. have been doing for centuries. I mean, be like the Bereans and search the scriptures to see if That's these right. things are so. The question is, when we go to the the deconstruction online spaces, when we read their books, when we're, you know, looking into what they're saying, we're not finding that. We're not finding the Berean, we're finding something else. Or find someone who actually has rejected and ignored scripture. And because that is such a fundamental thing, again, it comes to, down to authority, comes down to truth. Because that is such an important divide, we thought, you know what? Let's not add an adjective. Healthy versus unhealthy. Good versus bad. 
that's not helpful enough. What we want to do is say, look, we have terms for this. We use the word reformation in our book. Um, that, that is, is what we want people to do. And so it really comes down to how you're doing it. Forget the, forget about the word for a minute. What's the methodology? What's the how? And in our book, we outline how we think Christians should do, should do this kind of thing. Wow. It almost feels like we're, we're sort of, if we weren't talking about the church here, it could, it could be a conversation about the intersectional ideology and, and this sort of, uh, what do you call it? Uh, critical theory kind of thing where yeah. we're, we're bringing the, bringing power structures down and, and, and tearing down leadership and roles and that have always been in existence. It feels like we're taking the church and making it bow to the culture rather than filtering culture through the lens of the church. Is that accurate? I think that's actually very accurate because one of the things we discovered in our research is that that whole kind of power structure, oppressed versus oppressor, is is a very dominant theme in deconstruction. In fact, uh, it goes under the the phrase, you know, decolonize your theology. You you might hear yeah. that term, and some deconstructionists will even say you you have not deconstructed until you've decolonized your theology. And what they really mean by that is is that you have gotten rid of what they perceive to be. Um, oppressive, uh, the church trying to control people with fear, which really is a, is a, is an outflow of white supremacy. And so, but the, and, and again, like, I think all of us would be like, well, we don't want to condone white supremacy. We don't want any theology that is maybe just built up by people that wanted power or something, of course. But the problem is, is that in the deconstruction hashtag, really any objective truth claim that you're going to make about someone like you're a sinner, you need a savior. Jesus is the judge of the world. There's a real place called hell. These things right. are seen as vestiges of that colonization mindset. So you mm-hmm. have to decolonize that. So um, the wording can sound like they're doing something good, but when really dig down to the bottom, oftentimes they're rejecting core doctrines of the faith. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so wh- who's the candidate for that? Who do you see typically that falls into this deconstruction process and what's the, what, what are some common sort of characteristics that you see among people who've had this happen to them or have gone through this process? That's a really good question. Um, Cause what you'll find is you could have two people who have actually experienced the same kind of maybe church hurt or suffering or doubt questions um, going through the same thing, and yet there's a different response to it. One person deconstructs and one person doesn't deconstruct. And so what we do in the book is we talk about um, the importance of your fa- your faith foundation and then, and then the crisis being this separate event. And depending on what your faith foundation is, that crisis can have, you know, can send you one way or, or the other. Um, and so, you know, we, we share stories in the book about, you know, um, individuals who have gone through kind of incredible church hurt and suffering abuse, like real abuse that's out there and yet can come out on the other side with an even stronger faith. Now, how is that possible? Well, one of the things we talk about is, is foundations. And uh, of course, Jesus talked about the importance of having a foundation. Um, He uses this kind of metaphor for, or this parable of, sowing seed in different soils. And one of the soils he yeah. talks about is the rocky soil. And in that rocky soil, there is root, like the, the roots kind of come out, but it springs up immediately. And then when the sun comes out, the plant is scorched. And then he tells us what that means. He says, these are the ones who receive the word initially with joy. And then they endure for a while, but 
um, when persecution or tribulation come on account of the word, they fall yeah. away. That's his term. They fall away. What's he saying? There was no deep roots there. And I actually think, man, when you look around our culture, it, especially in the church, our kind of Christian culture, what you find is most Christians don't know what they believe or why they believe it. Um, especially why they believe it. They might have a, you know, a clue on what Christians generally believe, but even that's not true. I mean, we, in the book, we cite some studies. You have Ligonier, yeah. Lifeway, just in 2022, they found that 40%, actually it was over 40% of people who identify as evangelical. Okay. This isn't just anybody. These are self-professing evangelicals do not believe Jesus is God. They think he's wow. just a good teacher. Can you believe that? I mean, these are people who call themselves evangelical and yet they're not Christians because I mean, one of the most essential doctrines in Christianity is the deity of Christ. You can't reject right. that and main and be a Christian. So I think we have failed and I don't want to make it sound like Christianity is just an intellectual thing because it's not, there is a genuine relationship that needs to be there. That's but right. if you do not understand, if you lack knowledge, and this was one of the things that God and the prophets kind of chastise the Israelites. They had no love for God because they had no knowledge of God. They didn't even know who he was. This is what Hosea says. And That's so right. I think as a church, um, we need to do a better job equipping, especially young Christians, so that when the trial comes, when the crisis comes, um, they're able to uh, withstand that storm. And, uh, and, and, and we, we cite individuals in the book that, and probably your listeners know individuals who have gone through incredible suffering and yet come out on the other side um, as a Christian and sometimes even a stronger Christian as a result. That's right. And you do a good job of in the book of going back and showing historically, this isn't the first time or the first era in history when this kind of process happens. It keeps happening. You, you mentioned how it's like a rerun on television. And give yeah. us a little bit of the background all the way back philosophically and, and why this particular movement is, is similar to heresies that have sprung up in the past all the way back to the garden and what uh, Satan did in the garden. Yeah, it's and I think what might be helpful is to kind of pull in postmodernism here because really yeah. that that was an important thing to put into our definition and of course postmodernism wasn't around in the garden but the enemy was postmodern before anybody was postmodern which That's really right. is home you know if you think of there's a lot that could be said about postmodernism as a as a movement in history but it can be hallmarked by a rejection of absolute truth, especially as uh, that could be known when it comes to religion and morality, which leads to a hyper, hyper skepticism of meta narratives and that type of thing. Um, yeah. So back, you know, in the garden, the, the enemy is twisting the word of God, right? He's did God really say it's that primordial question that kind of is the root of all heresies. But if we want to trace it uh, from a more modern place. Um, you know, in the 60s, postmodern philosophy really started gaining steam with people like Jacques Derrida, Michel Foucault. Uh, Jacques Derrida didn't believe that words could be pinned down to singular meanings or definitions. So the, in, the meaning of the words, it, the, the intent of the author had no bear, no more bearing on the meaning of the words than the interpretation of the hearer. Now, I think we, yeah. we see that a lot, even now, just as it relates to text, because for Derrida, it was just, it just had to do with words. But there was a guy named John Caputo who took the ideas of Jacques Derrida and applied them to religion. And, and actually, Caputo's not the only one. People like Rachel Held Evans were uh, quoting Derrida there in her uh, final book. And, um, and, and interestingly, with Rachel Held Evans, 
uh, she was, she even gave us her reason why she was pulling in Derrida. She said, I, because I refuse to believe that the, the acts that are attributed to God in the Old Testament are things that God really could have done. So she basically brings in the deconstructionism of Jacques Derrida and applies it to religion. Um, yeah. But I think it's important for us to understand the relationship between postmodernism and deconstruction, because like we had mentioned earlier, we would hope that anybody and every Christian would reevaluate, reevaluate your beliefs every day, bust it down to the studs and build it back up. Make sure what you mm. believe lines up with reality, lines up with scripture, that, that you are going to pursue truth wherever it leads. We say, yes, that amen, do that. But in deconstruction, it's not that external authority of truth that they're looking for because of that postmodern rejection of the idea that those things could even be known. So therefore, any kind of objective truth claim a Christian might make is seen as a power grab. It's seen as just the church trying to control people. So really, it's virtuous in deconstruction to get out from under that influence, to get out of the yeah. fold, to reject that grand meta narrative so that you can create what works for you. And that's really the postmodern element. So it's an entirely different process than what we're talking about when we might say like reformation or discernment or something like that because of that postmodern philosophy that has so infiltrated our culture. In fact, um, Tim mentioned some studies, uh, Bar uh, not, yeah, it was Barna and, uh, Impact 360, I believe that did their Gen Z study. And they discovered that the primary worldview of Gen Z is called moral relativism. And basically that's yeah. the idea that we can't know what's objectively right or wrong, or there is no objective right or wrong when it comes to morality. So, so it's not a, I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that deconstruction is a postmodern process because it's, it's really built upon the back of all of these uh, philosophies that really ultimately reject objective truth, or at least that, that objective truth could be known. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a, that's a whole, um, a whole conversation I think for uh, that, that could be had about postmodernism and post-Christianism and, and Augustine versus Freud and, and our worldview conversation that's led to, I think, so much damage in the church really where people are valuing feelings and emotion and what they feel is right or wrong versus what scripture says. Mm -hmm. But what happens in, in a person, an individual person who is feeling like they're, faith needs to be challenged and they start going through this process. What, what happens on an individual level that you've seen and how does that, how does that play out in families and in churches and, and, and how does an individual person follow this path? Wow. Uh, I mean, that, that's a good question. And I think it looks different with different people. Um, you know, for some who are genuinely seeking truth, like real answers, it's going to look totally different. And again, we wouldn't call that particular thing deconstruction. But in the book, I talk about going for uh, a coffee with a 14-year-old, actually a friend's son. And we talked for three hours about the challenges that he was facing. In fact, um, in the book, I we outline how uh, his best friend of five years came out of the closet, said, I'm gay. And, um, this was all over text messages asking, you know, what do you think of that? Well, this 14 year old, um, Adam, he, he kind of gave the Christian view with truth and compassion. But as a result, the friend took screenshots of their conversation, shared it with all their friends. And he basically lost all of his friends at his public school. Yeah. And so when he's out with me and he's like, Tim, I don't want to believe this Christian stuff if it's not actually true, like I'll get my friends back if I don't believe this, but wow. I also want to follow truth. 
So, and so we, it, we were able to get the Bible out and talk about exactly and kind of bolster, you know, the, 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 the things that he believed actually have reasons behind them. Okay. So that's one kind of way, but then there's others. And I think we're seeing this more and more where the doctrines are so offensive to our feelings um, that we're, we're not looking for answers. We say in the book, we're, they're looking for exits. So is yeah. there a way out? And, um, and I, again, when we're just, we're looking at their TikToks videos and we're looking at their Instagram posts and what you find is, yeah, these guys, it seems like their faith, whatever was there, if there was a faith is very, very superficial. Um, it was like maybe a, maybe a cultural thing because they didn't understand the true gospel. And, uh, and that's why we, in like, we give many, many examples, but there's one example of someone who goes by de the deconstruction girl. And yeah. she, she writes the central doctrine of Christianity is child sacrifice. That's a yeah. central doctrine. And I'm thinking, that. really, that is such a straw man. That is not even close to what Christians actually believe. And so what is going on inside that mind? Well, it's like, you don't even want the answer. You don't really care about the answer. Cause this is, I mean, Jesus was, everyone knows he wasn't a baby being offered. He was a full grown man who willingly went to the cross for our sins. That is basic, basic stuff. So what would cause someone to post something like this, um, that completely misrepresents what scripture actually teaches? Well, there's something more going on behind the scenes. This is not someone looking for answers. They're looking for a way out. And, right. um, and again, like, I don't want to psychologize all these people or look at, I don't know all their individual motivations. I'm just saying, generally speaking, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing people who actually want to know what's actually true. And that method looks very different than these other people who it seems like there's, there's a motivation behind the scenes where they don't want Christianity to be true. And that's why, by the way, things like gender and sexuality are like number one reason why people are deconstructing. They don't, yeah. they don't want to align themselves with a, a view like the scripture holds where there are just two genders and there really is a way that God has designed sex to function. That is so counter to what they believe. And so they, they have, they're deconstructing as a result. So um, again, there's a, there's a number of reasons things going on inside, but I think that the exits, that's, that's what's really motivating this. What do you think it does to families and to the people around those individuals who are going through or have gone through this and, mm. and how should they try to move forward? Yeah, this is actually maybe the most important question we could discuss because, you know, people might be thinking, well, who cares if it's postmodern or what it is, but there's a reason it matters. And the reason mm. it matters is because if this was a process, like Tim was talking about, where somebody is just pursuing the truth, they understand the gospel, they want to know what's real and what's true, that that would be a totally different animal than the person who has already decided that what you believe is toxic, harmful, and abusive. That's an entirely different thing. So that's the one thing I think people need to understand about how it affects the families, is it's not just like, let's say, an elderly couple who has an adult child and who has deconstructed. It's not just that the adult child disagrees with their parents, like, yeah, I was raised in this kind of Christian thing. You know, I don't buy it, but I love my parents or whatever. It, that's not what we're seeing. What we're seeing is adult right. children cutting their parents off, saying, you're a toxic, unsafe, abusive person. You abused me by teaching me that I was a sinner. 
you were abusive to me by teaching me biblical sexual ethics or something like that. And so in many cases, people will even receive no contact letters. I've met many, many people who have received no contact letters from people in their lives who have deconstructed. In fact, we opened the book with a story of an elderly couple that came up to me after a conference saying, you know, we're, we're not allowed to see our grandkids. What do we do? And really that story is just representative of many, many, many couples I've met who, I mean, almost night after night who are in the same position. So it really, really affects the family and the loved ones and the churches and the pastors of the people who have deconstructed. Because in many cases I've even seen, um, you know, of course I'm not saying every pastor is perfect, but the deconstructionist will go on and, uh, and accuse the pastor of abuse simply because of what they taught. Now there is real abuse. Absolutely mm-hmm. not denying that at all. There are cover-ups, there are scandals, and we, along with Jesus, hate those things and want to see those exposed and corrected and brought into the light, of course. But there's also this element of saying, just because you taught me what the Bible says, I've been abused and that's abusive. And so they'll, on social media, call these churches and pastors out for that kind of thing. So that's the element that I think is really important for people to understand is, is you're walking, if you're, if you have a loved one in deconstruction, as we're defining it, you're not just going to be able to have like a coffee date and fix their theology. This is, this goes way deeper and to where they actually think that you're a harmful person. And so as far as the how to walk through, we have a whole chapter on advice on how to walk through this with people that are in your life. And we give some what I think might be counterintuitive advice for some Christians because we are, you know, Christians are truth people. We want we want people to be saved. In fact, Tim and I say that in the book. We don't want people to walk away from their faith. We're going to be totally open mm-hmm. about our agenda here. We want you to be a Christian. And so I think because of that, sometimes our knee-jerk reaction as Christians can be to to get, you know, to try to argue somebody in or use our mm-hmm. apologetics to to try to convince them. But what we have to realize is that because this is such a fragile situation, it's really okay to step back and just try to stay in your loved one's life and not try to change their theology or change their mind, but just try to maintain the relationship. It's kind of like triage, you know, when there's an accident and people start coming into the ER. uh, Well, yeah, you, you know, better than anybody, Um, you know, you have to treat the most urgent thing first. So the guy with the punctured lung is probably going to get treated before the broken wrist. And so it's kind of like that. It's do a little triage and, and you might just have a fragile window of opportunity to just try to stay in, in your loved one's life. And that could go on for a long time. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, you can pray. You can live the beauty of the gospel out in front of them. Let them see the peace of Jesus in your life. And then mm-hmm. pray for maybe an opportunity down the road somewhere to be able to open up uh, a conversation. But uh, it, it, And I've had so many people tell me, thank you for that advice. Like that actually set me free because I just was fretting over, you know, feeling the weight of the responsibility to try to save their loved one. And what we say in the book is, you know, of course we want to do what we can when we can, but you are not the Holy Spirit and you are not God in their life. And you can do what that's you right. can, but sometimes it's okay to just try to maintain the relationship. Yeah, that's that's well said. You know, I've I've noticed over the years that oftentimes when there's, in medicine, we've learned a whole language around what we call trauma-informed care. You know, we've learned how to how to stop saying what's wrong with you and start saying what happened to you. You know, like look at what happened in a person's life. So, is that a helpful approach sometimes when you're trying to relate to somebody that's gone through this? Is like like trying to get to those underlying issues and have conversations about them? Yeah, oh, big time. That that's actually something we talk about in the book. Is just the the art of listening. You know, tell me tell me where you're coming from. Tell me what happened. 
Um, this is such an important piece. I think that as Christians, we often want to speak first and listen second. Yeah. And uh, I want to tell you, I want to correct your theology. As Elisa just said, I want to fix you, you know, um, but that's, that's not the right approach here. The right approach is look, um, let me hear where you're coming from first. And it's only after that, that you're able to make, uh, an appropriate response. Um, so I remember, I think it was Sean McDowell talking about a story where someone asked about the problem of evil and he just launched into kind of a philosophical, you know, response. And here's, you know, here's all the, and he's walking through the logical problem and the probabilistic thing and all this stuff, very, very intellectual. But really what was going on behind the scenes was this person was suffering in the moment and the philosophical stuff just went right past them. Like that yeah. did not register. And what he says is I should have asked. And now what he does ask people is how have you experienced evil and suffering in your life? So now I know, okay, who am I talking to? Am I talking to the student who is doing their master's degree in philosophy? Or am I talking to someone who's just been diagnosed with cancer? And yeah. they're wondering, where's God in all this? That's going to change how you, how you uh, respond to the situation. It's the same with deconstruction. And it's really important that we find out, man, is there, do they misunderstand doctrines? Are they, were they raised in a certain kind of maybe even cultic kind of Christianity that's not, not legitimate Christianity? We see that. I mean, we talk about uh, Ginger Duggar in our, in our uh, book. Yeah. In fact, she endorsed the book. And what she did was she said, I didn't deconstruct. She called it disentangling her faith. So there was a bunch of things yeah. that she had to get rid of, false, false beliefs, false doctrines. Um, but again, doing what the Bereans did, reforming her faith. And so, but it starts with, you wouldn't, no one would be able to help Ginger in that situation without listening. Where is she coming from? And, right. uh, and so we think that's, that's the, one of the first steps. That's that's so powerful. Who who's the who's the ideal reader here? Is this aimed at people who are going through it? And is there stuff in the book that can help them, or is it aimed at people who are around those or, or pastors? Who, who's going to benefit the most from this book? Well, we certainly hope that if someone is in deconstruction and they pick up the book, that they would find something helpful in it. But that's actually not who we wrote it for. Our the person we wrote this book, this is not the book that you're going to give to your friend who's in deconstruction. This is the book you're going to give to their mom and dad, their pastor, yeah. their brothers and sisters, their, their spouses. This book was primarily written to the church and, and Christians who are experiencing deconstruction from the outside to help mm -hmm. them understand what's going on with their loved one and to be able to navigate those relationships and minister as best they can. Powerful guys. It's, um, it's an important work. It's so it's well-written. It's going to help people. We have a few copies we're going to give away. I'll talk about that in the outro in a minute. And we're really grateful that you wrote it and the hard work that you're doing. You are hitting home runs with the work that you're doing in apologetics. And I'm so grateful for you and for the time that you took to be with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Wasn't that a great talk? Elisa and Tim did such a great job with this book and I'm very grateful that they wrote it. It's going to help. It's going to help us. It's going to help you. And if you know anybody who's going through this, this troubling process of deconstruction, it'll help you speak to them, to love them, to pray for them more effectively. It's a great book. I was incredibly 
uh, grateful to add it to the, the set of tools and resources that we have. Hey, spiritual brain surgery is about understanding what you believe and why you believe it and how to use your brain and your mind together to be able to stand up when life gets hard, to hold on to your faith, to deal with doubt effectively, and to be able to tell other people the hope that you have. And I hope this has been helpful to you. Don't forget, we have three copies of the book to give away. Send me an email, lee at drleewarren.com, and we will select the winners within 48 hours. I need your name, your mailing address, and your zip code if you want to be considered for the book. Thanks again to Elisa Childers and Tim Barnett. We'll put links to their websites and to the book in the show notes. And my friend, remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And I hope that spiritual brain surgery will help you get that done. And the good news is you can start today. Hey, thanks for listening. The Dr. Lee Warren Podcast is brought to you by my brand new book, Hope is the First Dose. It's a treatment plan for recovering from trauma, tragedy, and other massive things. It's available everywhere books are sold, and I narrated the audiobooks. Hey, the theme music for the show is Get Up by my friend Tommy Walker, available for free at TommyWalkerMinistries.org. They are supplying worship resources for worshipers all over the world to worship the Most High God. And if you're interested in learning more, check out TommyWalkerMinistries.org. If you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at WLeeWarrenMD.com slash prayer wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer and go to my website and sign up for the newsletter Self Brain Surgery every Sunday since 2014 helping people in all 50 states and 60 plus countries around the world. I'm Dr. Lee Warren and I'll talk to you soon. Remember friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind and the good news is you can start today.